a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tropical MBA Podcast. Glad to have you along. Yeah, I can definitely do the intro. You know why, Dan? That's how you outsource. I've been up since 2.30 in the morning. That's why. And I'm just full of energy here. You're the jet lag guy. Oh, it's awful, man. I, I don't think I've ever had it this bad. And I'm getting on a flight today to go to San Diego. So let's just double compound this thing. Let's just <laughs> let's get it done. Here's I got an intro for you. Tropical MBA is the podcast dedicated to the growing movement of location-independent entrepreneurs worldwide. That's what we're talking about today. A bunch of those location-independent entrepreneurs have called us, left us a voicemail, and we've got a huge backlog of these things, Ian. So I wanted to go in, lots of interesting stories to share on today's show. What do you say we just jump right into that? Yeah, let's take these calls. All right. Gentlemen, I recently had the pleasure of getting to know Cody McKibben, Mike Harrington, and Medellin. And I asked them, do you have any advice for a noob like me? How do I make that next step? First thing out of Cody McKibben's mouth was, listen to the TNBA podcast. I've started to. I can't stop. The other thing that they said was, join or form a mastermind group. Just did that today. Good feeling to be making progress. You guys are in my earbuds. Keep rocking out. Thanks so much, guys. All right, well, first off, big shout out to Mike and Cody for suggesting that Tropical MBA be the, I don't know, gateway drug to location independence. But I want to underscore this mastermind group thing. If you don't know what it is, it's a group of, you know, anywhere from two to, I've seen them, you know, as work as successful as maybe 10 people. That's probably a little bit on the, on the high side, though. People that get on the phone either once a week, twice a month, or once a month to keep each other accountable to put each other on the hot seat, to give each other honest feedback, to help each other move their businesses forward. We've been talking about this stuff since the early days. I've been a little bit of a hypocrite the last year. You know, I get up on stage in front of these events and I'm like, we run mastermind events, you know? And occasionally people will be like, so what's your mastermind? And I've been like, um, you know... <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, to be know. fair, you know, I don't think you have to be in a mastermind all the time. I mean, I think it kind of comes and goes, you know. It's like a lot of people wouldn't recommend you be in therapy all the time, you know. You go when you need it, you're, you're in and out kind of thing. And I think that's the same with masterminds. It's like, hey, let's join a mastermind. Let's be a part of a mastermind when it makes sense. I don't want to sit around for the next two years with the same group of people if I'm not actively getting things done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think these things have a natural lifespan. Like they tend to kind of get really good at like the three-month mark. And then there tends to be a point where the, the returns start to diminish, especially when, you know, you start to hear the same kind of excuses come up or sometimes groups just fail to evolve. That's neither here nor there. But I just want to say I just got into one because I am endeavoring to build a new skill set, focus more on my writing here at the blog. And so I teamed up with a couple better writers than myself. Got lucky. I don't know. Maybe the podcast juice helped me get into this one, but I'm really excited about it. And hopefully, maybe even we'll have these guys on the show if things continue to go well. It'll be interesting to talk about. The guy that's running this one really runs it like it's like a boot camp, man. 
So it's cool. It's cool. I show up and I'm scared. It's like I'm on a quarterly finance call with you, you know, looking at a P&L or something. I mean, I get nervous with these guys and it's good because it's good to have people that are holding you accountable and saying, you know, get this stuff done because we're spending our time on you. Don't let us down. Yeah, I think the two core principles for me, Dan, out of a mastermind are accountability, number one, and number two, allowing somebody else to have eyes on your business. It's so valuable. You know, you meet with people three, four, five, six, ten times sometimes, and they're like, oh, yeah, now I get what you do in your business, you know, because this stuff is complicated. And if you can have like five people in the world that understand your business and how you relate to it and work in it, I mean, that's just gold because then they can really help you. And I think that that's probably more of a value than accountability. I've, I've got you to keep me accountable. Jeff from Philadelphia gave us a ring. Yo, Dan and Ian, this is Jeff. Just want to let you guys know you're great. I've been listening to every episode starting from number one. I'm currently at 89. Thank you. Yeah, Jeff, I just want to thank you for taking the TMBA Marathon and use your call as a reminder to let listeners know. I don't know. These feeds are complex. Ian, I think our feed is currently screwed up, like we're serving two different feeds to iTunes or something silly. I don't know. But I do know if you go to tropicalmba.com, you can download the entire Tropical MBA archive. It's like watching Breaking Bad or whatever, the whole thing back to back. You can just go on a, a location independence pilgrimage and get up to speed on all this crazy stuff we've been doing the last five years. Five years. Just get yourself some Ben and Jerry's, man, and, and put the headphones on. <laughs> Kevin gave us a ring from Brazil. Hey, guys. My name is Kevin calling in again. Just listened to this week's episode and really connected with what you guys said about unplugging from the real world. I've been living in Brazil now for several years, but just have recently gotten into trying to create my own location-independent business. I'm now realizing how valuable it's been for me to be able to disconnect and just having time to really create my own path without the constant distraction and worry about if I'm doing things right. And I just really thank you for bringing this to to the front and, and, and just validating this for me. Week after week, you keep impressing me. So thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. I love this because it's one thing to escape the real world. You know, I was talking with Michael Covell, an entrepreneur that I really look up to. He was on this show a little while back. He has a great podcast, one of the top financial podcasts in the world. And he was talking about how, you know, he felt like being an expat helped him to get free from the noise. I could definitely relate to that. You remember the conversation that we had just a few days ago with Sivers and Rob Walling at dinner? We are so name trappy. <laughs> all right, all right. Here's the point. We're talking about what it means to be an expat. You know, the other day it happened to me again. I flew in, I got into Dallas and it started immediately. Like I had to listen to people's problems <laughs> because I speak English. So the best part for me about being in Asia and Europe and traveling around the world is like you could be sitting in a cafe and somebody behind you could be talking about TMZ and all this other bullshit that you don't want to hear about and you don't have to understand them. It's the best <laughs> thing ever. It's interesting because I noticed that there was an election the other day and I heard that you know, I don't know, all this drama happened or whatever. And I remember just kind of like staring at it quizzically like, wow, you know, th that's the kind of thing that would create kind of like a baseline of stress or I would think about it or worry about it or worry about the direction of the country or whatever. Yeah, you just kind of cut through all that noise. It can be like that. But even when you join a subculture, there can be pressure to, well, here's what a expat entrepreneur should be doing or, you know, you should be doing all this kind of stuff. And I just think the power of these lifestyle businesses is that we have the opportunity to be good to ourselves. 
And that's a really magical thing when you can follow your own thing and make that work for your clients and customers too. And that to me is like why I appreciated this phone call and thought I admire a lot of entrepreneurs who, for example, have proactively decided to downsize their business so that they can focus on things outside of their business more. I think that that's brave and amazing. And you don't always have to go zero to one and quote, change the world to make a big difference in your lives and the lives of those around you. You know, the other thing in terms of not having to like listen to what <laughs> people have to say, I think that that's fairly minor, but it's it's somewhat profound for me. Yeah. Yeah. It really drags me down when I'm in the United States and like I have to hear about all this stuff stuff that's going on that I, I don't really care about, you know? And I think the same is true when we're in Japan. It's like, you also don't have to follow social norms. I don't know if you noticed that in Japan too, but like, there's a lot of social norms that like, basically as an expat there, like we kind of were like waved along. It's like, okay, don't worry about it, that. You don't know okay, weirdo. you should be doing this. Yeah. It's another <laughs> one of those privileges. I don't, I don't know how long that lasts. Like if you were to like live in these countries for 10 years, I think you would probably adapt, you know, and, and you would start taking up their social norms. But it's kind of cool to be like your own citizen of the world and, and travel around. Now, I'm not saying be an asshole, <laughs> but you can kind of do what you want. Before we get moved on to this next call, is there any other uh, famous people that you're friends with that you want to mention before we... Yes. <laughs> Actually, I think I've just mentioned them all in the last five minutes. This is... <laughs> Sam from Civil Effects gave us a ring. Let's listen to his call. Hey, Dan and Ian. It's Sam Lytle from CivilFX.com. emailed you earlier in the year about my entry to the Entrepreneur Mobile contest with an actual mobile home. Just wanted to give you an update. In July, on my 30th birthday, actually, I realized that my firm and I were going in different directions. And I walked out the next day and quit, took my clients with me, and started Civil FX Studios full-time, moved the kiddos into the mobile home, and we've been doing it for the past three or four months. After being completely gangbusters for the first few months, I'm somewhere between signing a six-figure contract and going to work for Uber on the weekends because our savings is running out. So I think Seth Godin calls this a dip. Anyways, just wanted to give you an update and uh, keep up the good work, fellas. Bye. Hey, I don't know, man, but if I'm on Uber and a Winnie pulls up, you know, I can just, I can just <laughs> like Sam rolling up with like a big gulp in the cup holder and just being like, let's roll. <laughs> I'll pay extra. I love it that he's on the edge, man, because that's what happens. It's like you really do feel like this when your business is first starting out. It's like all going to go great or it's all going to go horrible. It's a pretty normal spot to be in, man. So, yeah, you're right. This is the dip. You just got to work through it. I think back to 2009, there's lots of, you know, rubbing the bridge of the nose that year and just long size. And I mean, it was, we just honestly didn't know. I mean, I think that we knew that entrepreneurship was going to work, you know? It's kind of like what Sam was saying, like, yeah, I might have to go Uber. You know, you just don't know what your vehicle is going to be. It might not be the business or the clients that you're currently working with, but I think there was a moment for us, even though, you know, the valet podium thing was really tough at the beginning and they were breaking down and then we didn't know if that was going to be our horse. I think we knew that if it wasn't going to be that, we were going to start another business and we we're going to make it happen. Steve gave us a ring and asked about our voicemail. Hi, Dan. My name is Steve. I just found your blog and I'm loving it. But I could help but notice this voicemail number on the side, which I haven't seen in too many places. And I was wondering if you found it useful. People are using it and you know giving you good feedback and if it's been a good thing for you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, Steve, you know, one of the themes of this blog has been you're really leaving it on the table if you don't have a phone number on your website, in particular, if it's an e-commerce store. You know, you want to give your clients or customers a chance to 
give you a call. I mean, it, it shows trust that you're willing to interact with your marketplace. But on the TMBA blog, we just toss it up because we love these voicemails. We think it's cool to hear from people. But I'll tell you one thing that happened. And this is naive that I didn't think this was going to happen. But most of the phone calls that I get are not from TMBA listeners. They are from either political candidates, I guess. <laughs> this guy's like, uh, Obama, call them nation. It's like, okay, whatever, man. And then I delete those. And then the other thing that I get is uh, pitches. I mean, solicitors out the yin-yang <laughs> are calling me saying uh, we have a beautiful partnership together. In fact, let me play one for you. This is just, listen to this, Ian. You'll get a kick out of this. Just wanted to chat with you and I and about the partnership that I have in mind. There's a lot, in fact, we can do together. What do you think, Ian? What do you think about that excellent partnership? Opportunity. I'm sorry, Ian. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. I want to get me some Pat Flynn money, man. But in all seriousness, with this phone number thing, I was racing a couple months ago, and I was talking with Adam Carolla. Oh my gosh! <laughs> True story. Just, just keep dropping them. Just keep dropping them. But anyways, man, I think that where the call thing comes from, you know, Carolla's got a call-in show. I think that's really fun. Rest in peace, the guys that do. One of them just passed away. The guys that do the car talk, and I love that format, man. And and I know you and I both grew up like listening to this format. Yeah, Dave Ramsey does it. Yeah, I love the format. And one of these days, Dan, it's going to come. I would love to do a live show, you know. And I think that these phone calls are just like the beginning of that. Hopefully, what do you think about doing a podcast where we would? get on go to meeting and let like 20 listeners come on and then just talk to those listeners or something like that we're only at the beginning with this podcast stuff St- still i really believe that and like the formats and the technology we just don't have the technology man it's just not there yet <laughs> well, you should call your famous friends man they know how to do this stuff yeah i'm trying to uh trying to hook it up hey speaking of friends nick from our old stomping grounds of san diego gave us a call and asked about his product business Hey, Dan and Ian, this is Nick in San Diego. First of all, I just want to say thank you. You guys have inspired me in multiple ways, and now I'm trying my first productized business. My question is about international shipping. So I have a couple suppliers in China, and the prices are unbeatable. But the problem is shipping. They want to quote me $470 for a basic shipment of something that can be shipped for $50 here. Obviously, it's going to be more expensive coming from China, but what are some of my options to get more reasonable shipping rate? Thanks again, and love to meet you guys next time you're in San Diego. So Ian, I got to defer to you. You know, How does this shipping stuff work? What's your advice for, for Nick? Well, I guess I'd have to know a little bit more, Nick, about like what your product is and how much it weighs. I mean, a lot of times, like shipping stuff from China, you can get away with air freighting it if it's like lightweight, you know, iPhone cases or something like that, and you've got a bunch of margin built in the product, you can get away with it. Now, if you're trying to ship bricks or something heavy, a lot of times the reason you got to put those things on a container is not necessarily because they take up a lot of space, but because they're heavy. So it doesn't surprise me that your Chinese factory is telling you it's $500. It very well might be $500 to ship that stuff. You got to ask yourself if the economics of this product are going to work out. And if you have to air freight them and it doesn't work out, well, then you might have a, a DOA product. There's a reason why for certain product businesses, you stay manufacturing local, depending on what the shipping quality is. Because the bottom line is unit cost versus shipping cost it doesn't really matter. If that's what the cost is for you, delivering the product to your customer, 
you know, that's how you have to base your pricing on. Exactly. And I think that's really important to mention, Dan, is like, you can't just find a product on Alibaba and the guy like tells you it's $13. It's like, what's the landed cost? And the landed cost is what the shipping is. What is it going to be past the landing cost? What's it going to be when it's sitting in your warehouse? What's it going to cost to fill that? Like, this is all part of the cost of goods sold. Now, there's a very real difference in this cost at different levels of scale. And it's important to, I guess, plan ahead for what level of scale is this business going to be operating at? You might want to be pricing this thing at LTL levels, for example. So you could get a less than container load, you know, get a few CBMs, share a container. It's going to change your velocity of cash flow, right? Because you're going to have to let that stuff sit on the water for two and a half weeks and in the port, then into a warehouse or a third-party logistics provider. However, you're going to cut that 470 to maybe 15 bucks or something. Who knows? So that's something you want to look at. And what you could do is, okay, that's what the business is going to look like, but I'm not ready to risk that cash. I'm going to go with the U.S. supplier to test the market for a few months. And then once I feel confident that I can risk the cash to go for an LTL load, I'm going to go to the supplier and I'm going to buy 250 units, something like that. Jeez, Dan, we, we're talking like we know what we're talking about. I mean, it's like it's not like we haven't had a business doing this stuff for eight years. Maybe we should do a podcast <laughs> on that. What are we doing, man? Well, you know, another option that people are starting to use is Amazon Fulfillment. I got some knowledge bombs dropped on me the other day, and I highly recommend this podcast, Dan. I don't know if you've listened to it yet. It's the A16Z podcast. Oh, yeah, it's a good podcast, and I just discovered it. So, hot tip, Taylor, thank you for that. If you want to start, there's an episode on Amazon, and they go into detail about basically their strategic financial financial plan. And it's pretty interesting to hear they've really got a long-term vision on this stuff and hopefully it works out for them. Yeah. It's interesting too that they make $0 every year, like exactly $0. Well, it's really interesting. Yeah. Because they keep investing in their infrastructure. It's like anytime they make a dollar, they make a new warehouse. So one of those products that they've created is called Amazon Fulfillment. And we do have friends using this, which is like a a kind of done for you third-party logistics. So it's really easy third-party logistics. Now, Who knows, Amazon might be your biggest competitor three or four years from now, but that's probably going to happen anyway. So, you know, if it seems like a big headache to bring over an LTL and to set up your own warehouse and all that stuff, maybe check out Amazon. That might be a way to go. Yeah, Amazon's like, oh, we'll take care of that for you. And and how many of these do you sell? Oh, yeah. And what's your margin? (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All no right. problem. We'll Two years down that. the line, you, yeah, it's going to have an Amazon sticker. <laughs> All right. We have a call from Shaw Turner at pitchbox.com. And, and this is our final call, Ian. So make sure your you're answer to this one. I mean, really think about this one. Hey, Dan and Ian. This is Shaw Turner from pitchbox.com. I just wanted to share with you that I've been listening to your podcast for like a couple of years now. I came over to Saigon for a few days to check the place out, and that was back in March of this year. I met a couple of guys in the DC for like, it was only an hour, and I have been on an express mission to get my butt back over here ever since. So since that time, I have gotten my B2B productized service business off the ground. It turns over a few grand a month now. I can work on it from anywhere. I quit my job, and so yeah, I'm back. I'm all signed up on the DC. I got myself a $500 a month service department and I am excited and it's all been totally down to you guys I can't thank you enough for that my question is about differentiating between a product your brand and the business when your business and your brand is still young do they like kind of sit in the background while you develop and take your first product to market 
And then only after you've got two or three products out there that kind of didn't fail, do you begin to associate them with, I suppose, the main brand or business entity that's kind of behind it all. I'm finding right now that I've built a business that is making promises about what it's going to do to serve the various needs of, of my customers. But of course, in reality, I'm only providing one productized service right now. So if I go to town associating that one product with the brand and the business, I'm kind of worried that I'm going to be pigeonholed as a business that only does one thing. And, you know, all that time kind of goes into just you're only getting known for one thing. But if I'm too broad too early, then I kind of risk looking like I'm a bit lazy or like I'm not delivering. But it's so important to me at the same time to allow my brand some room to move later on. It's weird, but like the only example I can think of is Dunlop. Did they even make shoes after the volleys, I have no idea. I mean, those shoes are so iconic. I don't think they ever had the opportunity to become known for other models in the collection, even if they wanted to, unlike some of the other brands, you know. We'd love to know what you guys think about this. I love what you're doing. Keep all of that up. My website is at pitch-box.com. I look forward to getting stuck into some local food and beer with you guys and all the rest of the DCs. Cheers. Well, first off, you know, I actually met Shah at DCBKK and he came up to me and told me a story and it was really cool. I mean, he seems like a really sharp dude and congratulations. This hub phenomenon, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, Ian, is back when I had a job, I only really made decisions for about 15 to 20 percent of my time. And during that time, my decisions were pretty limited because I had to stay close enough to the office, you know, so I could go back there in just a few more hours. What happens when you become a, a digital nomad, location-independent entrepreneur is all of a sudden you have all this freaking spare time. And a lot of us were at the second or third layer in our business, like away from clients and customers because we have customer service. So it's not even being defined by your clients anymore. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're totally off this nine to five arbitrary thing. And so how do you organize your time? And, and one of the things people are doing is they're moving to these hubs. And it's kind of like, it's a little bit collegiate in a way. You kind of flaneur around town, do some coffee shop, do some co-working sessions, do some brainstorm. Hey, let's go to the, you know, this and that. And it is kind of magical. So I can hear Shah's enthusiasm there and I share it. I'm in the same town. I absolutely share it, man. It is a weird phenomenon, Dan. Austin's blowing up too, right? You're in Austin. What's the scene like there? Yeah, there's a bunch of entrepreneurs here. I think it's probably one of the strongest scenes for Adobe product users in the cafes <laughs> that I've seen. I mean... It's like, don't y'all have jobs? And I go in there, yeah, everybody's on Adobe. So I think it's there's a lot of freelancers in this town, but there's a lot of entrepreneurs doing cool stuff too. I get the vibe, you know, it's a little bit different than it is in Asia. You know, everyone has time in Asia to meet with you. It's just like, well, yeah, why wouldn't I go out to dinner in three hours with this guy I just met? You know, in the United States, I, th I still think that we're a little bit far away from that. But Austin, in terms of like a town, in terms of people being accessible, it's the best that I've ever found. There is this element, I'm sure people who've traveled feel it or have been expatriated it's kind of the fast friends phenomenon you know like things just happen really fast like you meet someone like Shaw, oh, you're so cool like you know i'm going to dinner with this other person would you like to join us and it just kind of happens fast you know whereas yeah i feel like things do take a little bit longer in the states for whatever reason I'm not sure. <laughs> There's probably a lot of psychological reasons for that. <laughs> well, let me say this. So when I heard Shaw's thing, this is actually, in my mind, this branding thing is like one of the themes of this show. We talk, I mean, we've probably mentioned this in some form in like 20 episodes. And it's something I feel very strongly about is this idea of being willing to pigeonhole yourself. We have whole episodes about this with uh, John McIntyre, the autoresponder guy, Ben Kruger, uh, Authority Engine, the, the podcast editing guy. Well, here, let me just give me my thesis. People use this term, marketers use this term, brand 
recognition, brand recognition. This is something that is not important. It's not even on the radar for bootstrapping entrepreneurs. The, the example, for example, Shaw brought up was these Dunlop volleys. When he said Dunlop, you know what I thought of? Tires. I thought of tires, that's right. I'm a good old boy from Pennsylvania. I thought of tires. I didn't know that Dunlop makes cool shoes for hipster dudes. I didn't know that. Or, I mean, it's maybe a completely different company. The point is, is that that's what marketers talk about when they talk about brand recognition. It's super pointless. What you want to think about as an entrepreneur is brand relationship, right? So brand is just the relationship that you have with your clients. And anything that gets their attention, that gets them in front of you, that allows you to interact with them, that's what you want to be doing. And that's why having a broad approach is generally not the way to go. And people really underestimate the ability to take your status as, say, a pigeonholed person. Say, Shaw, you know, one of your products right now, you produce videos for people, right? Well, People trust you, they have a relationship with you because they want the videos from you. Now, if you come out with a social product, right, in a year, you've got that relationship, you've got that attention, you can go to them and say, hey, I'm doing social now. And I'm sure the same thing, like right now, maybe to you, Shaw, I'm like the, the DC guy. But I'm sure now that we've got a relationship, I could go to you and say, hey, Shaw, would you like to do a seminar about podcasting? In other words, Ian, like just because I have this really specific niche product, doesn't mean that that brand is limiting my options. In fact, it's the opposite. It gives me more options. Again, I think that sometimes like looking at what these big consultants and C-level people talk about marketing and brand, that's all about this recognition stuff. I don't even know what that means. It's like Wrigley's spirit. You pick up Wrigley's at the supermarket instead of the brand sitting right next to it. That's not what works on the internet. What works on the internet is having a relationship with somebody. I think that brands until you reach a certain scale are absolutely not important in a lot of different ways. Like in terms of like your logo and I think that that's when most people say brands, I think that that's what they think of. Like, oh, how's my branding look? Well, yours looks pretty good, shoppitchbox.com. But here's the thing is your brand in the beginning is the way that you treat your customers and the way that your product functions. It has nothing to do in my mind with your logo or necessarily the feel of your site or anything like that. It's the experience that your customers have. And if your customers are used to experiencing a certain thing with you, you're very responsive. You come to them on time time, you follow up on your process with them, you deliver good products, that's your brand. And if you want to introduce another product into that brand, I think that will be more than welcoming of that. So, I mean, two quick heuristics for, you know, what's the TMBA way then of thinking about this stuff? Number one, have something like Pitchbox that gives you some brand flexibility, right? You don't want to have I make videos for you.com. Having the Pitchbox thing with the I make videos as the tagline probably makes more sense than the I make videos for you.com. Secondly, if you want to think about brand, look at your emails and your phone conversations with your clients. That's it. Because if they're good, if people feel good about that interaction, they're going to listen to what you have to say. And if that means introducing them to a new product or a brand shift, I mean, we've had many people in our community. Think of Dan Norris, for example. I can think of off the top of my head, he had his agency, then he had web control room, then he moved to Informally, then he moved to the Dan Norris, then he moved to WP Curve, and now he moved to Black Ops Brewing. Is this a problem at all? No. I don't think so at all. He's got a relationship with his audience. We want to see what he's doing. That's what counts. It's not WP Curve means something to me, you know, in the ether. And I think that that's all junk that, you know, you read about in textbooks and it doesn't apply to these online businesses that we're doing. Well, I don't know. That might be an overstatement. 
I just think, you know, it's just thinking about the way your brand is perceived and stuff. That's all right. You know, you can do that. On the weekend. On the weekend. You can do that on the weekend. weekend. There you go. There's no downside to that. If you're thinking about recognition over top of relationship, the Empire Flippers just did a a big rebrand. And I think that that's great. The fact that they, you know, up-leveled and it, it looks beautiful and maybe people that have never seen them before, they're going to go to that website and say, this is a website I can really trust. You know, I agree with that. However, think about all the success they had with the little guy with the crown on and the sandcastle with the coins flipping. They had a huge success despite that because of the relationship, because of the way people think about those guys, because of the way people trust them. And that's about emails. That's about phone calls. That's about their show. That's about stepping forward and connecting with the marketplace. It's not because, in fact, despite of the design or the feel or whatever of the brand. So One last thing about his site here. It's actually pitch-box.com. We get a lot of inquiries, a fair amount of inquiries from CAD designers, from engineers, from architects. Like, this is a great business. Like, everybody's always asking, like, what can I do? I feel like very tied to the lab or whatever. This is an awesome example of that. You know, making these 3D renderings because a lot of these folks out there have this skill. So nice. Very cool, Shock. Great work and good luck on the business and hope you love hanging out in Saigon as much as we do. All right, Ian, if you don't have any other party name drops, we're just going to drop right into rap and reviews. This is one of my favorite tunes, Ghostface's solo record. I don't know if you remember this. It's a track called Iron Man. I absolutely love this track. I love Iron Man too, and I love Ghostface, but I love him more because he's Action Bronson's favorite rapper. So no way. I only listen to Action exclusively these days. So, <laughs> and we're hanging out soon. So I'll let you know how that goes. From the great white north of Canada, RaymondBurton.com says, Wicked Gems, five stars. I've listened from the beginning, and every morning I start up the truck and head to work at the crack of the sparrow's fart. These guys motivate me. Have you ever heard a sparrow fart? No, that's pretty funny. <laughs> every lunch hour, they share ways of getting out of the 9 to 5 for someone else and starting the 24-7 for yourself. There you go. These are the goods, and I can't thank them enough. Whereas Dan and Ian would say, this podcast is baller! Ray Burton from RayBurton.com. Thank you, good sir. Thank you, and Tim from the United States. I've been listening to these guys for at least 50 episodes. That's a decent amount of social proof. That's all right. So I wish I had their advice when I first started out in my own business nine years ago. I wish I had my own advice then too, Tim. Lately, I've been listening from my location independent home in Mexico, and I trust them so much, I linked to them from Lonely Planet article in my new book, A Better Life for Half the Price. Ooh, that was sneaky, Tim. Nice plug. Keep it real. (laughs) Alan from Dallas says, these guys are the kings of entrepreneurship. Five stars. If you call yourself an entrepreneur... And you aren't listening to this podcast. You are straight up playing yourself. (laughs) Playing yourself, son. For years, I've struggled alone. None of my friends are interested in business. And they sure as heck don't want me to mention the name Tim Ferriss ever again. One day on Twitter, I stumbled across Dan's Twitter and figured he was just another lifestyle business wannabe. Riding the four-hour work week wave. I'm riding it, baby, drinking those coconuts. I listened to an episode of the podcast and immediately realized this is no joke. Hearing them talk business felt like being a unicorn sliding down a rainbow into a pot of gold. 
Dan and Ian are proven masters of entrepreneurship and drop knowledge so fast you need to listen to each episode multiple times before it hits you. Where Tim Ferriss left off with a four-hour work week and pretty much abandoned seven years ago, TMBA has picked up and knocked it out of the park. If you listen to this podcast, you'll be a massive step ahead of the game and ready to lead a rich life. Wow. Alan. This guy has a future in writing reviews. This guy, I think, I mean, we know Alan. You can make a living off that. Trust me, this I know good. people this that are paying for Amazon reviews. You could do it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, this podcast will be part of the curriculum of multiple, multiple business and marketing university programs next year. I bet your mother would be proud of that. You should tell her that, Ian. I don't know if I told you about that. We got to clean it up. That's what I feel like. (laughs) We got to clean it up. And we also got to end this show because I don't like wasting people's time. So I'll talk to you soon, Dan. This one is tropicalmba.com slash focus. We always appreciate your comments and we will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.